Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, I'm joined by Chef Andrew Gruel. Andrew has done so much for those who have been hurt by the pandemic, and he has stood up when others wouldn't. I'm not a foodie by any stretch of the imagination, but that's the thing about Chef Gruel. You don't need to be to enjoy a conversation with him. I hope you enjoy our time together on this week's edition of At The Mic as much as I did. But first, let me tell you about American Pride Roasters Coffee and their Teddy Roosevelt blend this month that they're promoting. Teddy Roosevelt, he really got attached to nature and the need to care for it when he took a trip in 1883 to North Dakota. Nearly two decades later as president, he did what he could to set aside lands for Americans to enjoy, and generations have right up to today. After his presidency, Teddy was still quite the adventurer and was always looking to explore unknown lands. And in fact, he headed to South America in 1913, and he took a daring trip into the wilds of Brazil. It was a harrowing trip where a deadly snake bit into his boot, disease-carrying mosquitoes and biting flies were everywhere. Oh, an indigenous tribe followed him and his crew, and they, they killed one of the guy's dogs, as a matter of fact. It was ter- I mean, it was, it was really a horrific ordeal for Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, he got this leg wound that was infected with tropical fever and nearly killed the man. He did all of this while a bullet was still lodged in his chest from a previous assassination attempt. Remember that? Well, in honor of that Brazilian expedition, the Teddy Roosevelt coffee from American Pride Roasters is a full city roasted bean from Brazil. And don't forget, you can save 10% at checkout right now. If you head to aprcoffee.com, use offer code ATM at checkout. That offer code ATM, just to help you remember, stands for at the mic. Put it to use, get 10% off your purchase. That's aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Recently, Chef Andrew Gruel came to town for a visit. He's kind enough to spend some time chatting with me for At The Mic. It was a blast getting to know Chef Gruel and his story, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So let's get this week's conversation started with Andrew Gruel on At The Mic. I'm going to call you a big-time chef, okay? That's because that's, that's just going to be the official description. Big-time chef, uh, TV host, uh, you've been a judge, like you're a, you're a, a business owner. Oh, we got to talk about these restaurants that you own, by the way. Uh, anyhow, was there anything wrong with that intro? Hey, I really appreciate it. I, I'm just waiting for my mother to walk in and say, get out from behind that man's desk. <laughs> Let's start with your restaurant, Slapfish. You're the CEO and founder. I have read about this restaurant. It's a seafood restaurant, correct? Correct. I have got to eat there. And I want to know when you're going to build some out here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, coming soon. Oh, our, next, our next move. So our five-year plan is we're building out more of a Southwest hub. So we're going to build uh, Houston, uh, Texas specifically, because our partners and our really our headquarters are about to be Houston. And then Arizona, more of the Phoenix market, and then connecting to Southern California where we already have eight stores. So it's gonna, that's going to be our region over the next decade if you will how exciting is that so this is wow that's really cool well then you know that what that means is the next time you're in this building here in dallas uh it's fully expected that you will come with plenty of food most people expect me to show up with food i I, don't you like that i bet you love that when people are like hey why didn't you travel with food 
No, actually, I do love it. Because, oh, really? And, and, I, and I don't travel with food, but, yeah. I, but I like that typically I can use food to basically buy people's friendship. Well said. Yeah, I'm cutting you some slack since you did fly in from California. So I'm going to let it go this time. But uh, I look forward to it. You're born and raised in New Jersey, correct? Yep, you got it. Jersey boy. All right. I've lived up there. And actually, my family and I lived pretty close to where you grew up, I think. Bridgewater for you? Yes, sir. Okay, so we were straight out 78. Yep. And 78 West? Yeah, out near uh, Clinton. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. the train that I took every day back and forth from Manhattan, it was that line, Bridgewater, you know? So, yeah. uh, oh, very cool, man. You lived there your entire childhood then? Yeah, or? the okay. entire childhood, yep. Okay. Right on Bridgewater, Bernardsville, wrap around Somerville. I'm naming the train stops for you. <laughs> trying to bring yes, you back. Yes, yes. And don't bring me back too far. Yeah. But honestly, and, and, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in here with me. But I used to live in Charleston, South Carolina, which I consider the greatest city on earth. We had friends who were from Western Jersey. And the guy would always tell me how beautiful the west side of the state was. And I was like, okay, I got it, man, whatever, you know. And then, as fate would allow, I ended up living in Western Jersey. But it he's absolutely right, and back me up or, or set me straight. If you draw a line right down the middle of New Jersey, the east side is no thank you. The west side is absolutely gorgeous, and it really, the gateway to the west, if you will, starts in your hometown. It starts getting beautiful right there in Bridgewater. Yeah, we're right on that nexus. But <laughs> but I would say that the east side isn't isn't ugly per se. Okay. But it's just not western Jersey. You've got horses and farms and open land in western Jersey, which most people don't think when they imagine New Jersey, right? It's more what exit off the turnpike. Exactly. We all know that cliche. Eastern, you get a lot more food culture actually than you would on the western, right? Yeah. You start getting into scrapple territory the more west you go. Okay. Okay. You, you now and eastern, you know, we're talking Taylor Ham pork roll. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so glad you said pork roll. I fell in love with pork rolls. Up you mean there. Taylor Ham? Uh, Taylor Ham pork rolls. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, no, what am I missing here? Is that uh, the, the, that's the that's great. the Jersey Civil War? It's the Civil Food War between okay, North and I've South. I've never heard Taylor Ham. Yeah, if you call it Taylor Ham, you're from Northern Jersey. If huh. you call it pork roll, you're from Southern Jersey. And like when I post on Twitter and I post Taylor Ham or pork roll, <laughs> which I do to troll. People are serious in the comments, more serious than if I put something out there that was incredibly, like, polarized politically. Right. It's pork roll, you jerk, you loser. Yeah. I get hate messages <laughs> of people sending me a picture of the package. Tell me where it shows Taylor Ham, loser. <laughs> That's awesome. Don't you just love Twitter? Isn't it a fun place? It's good for my soul. Yeah. In fact... That's where, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm not a foodie, okay? But that's where I first introduced myself to you was through a video during the lockdowns of you standing up for small businesses and restaurants that were being held under the iron fist of Gavin Newsom. And that's that's where I started following you. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy is, he's speaking common sense. I didn't know that was a thing in California. Kudos to you, and I hope that things are getting better out there. Yes. Well, you know, you never know. That's mm -hmm. the problem, and that's what I've been saying all along, is, is that, first of all, Newsom, at this stage of the game, Newsom has not gotten rid of his executive powers under the COVID era, right? And he won't do that for a reason. He wants to continue having the power to be able to weaponize whatever agency he can in order to push forward, jam forward his incredibly progressive agenda. So... Has it gone away? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. You ever thought about getting out of there? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we thought about it, and and uh, and we still may. But at the same rate, you know, fighting behind enemy lines, if you will, is a much more virtuous task, I think, yeah. than throwing stones from you no. know Texas, Arizona, Florida, etc. Right. Somebody's got to be on the boots on the ground here. And I do agree with that. I love that take. But you have such a beautiful family, and then I just I think the kids, the kids gotta live free. But that's 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 a choice for you and your lovely wife. No, of course, and, of course. And, and it, look, Orange County is a, is a bit of a uh, an embassy, if you will, right? Uh, <laughs> well said. You know, yeah. w- within California, <laughs> it's it's there's a lot of level headed thinkers there. Now you're up against. You're still up against, you know, the craziness, but at least you've got a bit more of a support system in Orange County. L.A., way too far gone. <laughs> right and on. I'll never open a restaurant in L.A. I rarely ever go to L.A. Uh, when I have to drive past L.A. See, I mentioned past, not through, because mm-hmm. I'll go around L.A. <laughs> so, Oh, well, if you do decide to ever live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, let me know, and I'll give you the tour. All right, excellent. Okay, excellent. very good, very good. So, and you better tell me when you open up restaurants here, because I'm going to be there day one. Oh, no, we'll have the plaque in a seat for you all set. <laughs> the plaque. <laughs> so how was it growing up in New Jersey? Uh, how, how was it uh, your childhood there in the state? Yeah, well, it's definitely different than California. It's funny. I tell my kids we live like a half a mile from the beach. I tell them how amazing they have it, 75 degrees and sunny every single day. I'm like, you know, we dealt with sleet through the wintertime, and for me going out, it basically meant riding my bike six miles to a quick check, kicking stones outside, <laughs> and uh, every now and then. Look, we had the opportunity. We could go into the city. I mean, it's so funny how things have changed now, but I could just take the train into the city when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, and you go and you walk around New York City. That was an awesome thing to be able to do. But uh, other than that, it was just, you know, pizza and, and uh, mile-high sandwiches. Yeah. Do you have to pay to access the beach in California the way you do in New Jersey? No, no. And that's, <laughs> okay. that's funny you remember that. you got to buy your beach pin, right? Well, that, I, well, we, my family and I, when we moved to New Jersey, we were coming from Charleston, South Carolina. So we were, it, it was a culture shock. We were leaving free access to beaches, pristine beaches, free parking near the beaches. And then we get up there and it's like, nope, the beaches are terrible. You have to pay to access them and you have to pay to park near them. We're like, what in the world? And that's just really a microcosm of the difference between, say, a South Carolina and a New Jersey. But you're saying that in California, you don't have that, huh? No, not and some beaches you do, or you've just got to pay for the parking access, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. You've got these state beaches, you got to pay twenty five dollars to park there, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So look, leave it to New Jersey, California. They are experts at figuring out ways to tax you <laughs> at yeah. every single juncture, every turn, every breath, you name it, every <laughs> yeah. thought. They're going to start taxing thoughts. It just becomes a way of life. Yeah. You know, and then people stop questioning it. And it's, Bingo. It's conditioning. And then the next generation just accepts it because that's always, we've always paid to access this road. What do you mean? Yeah. I shouldn't say that too loudly because Texas is guilty of that. You have a sister. Did she get out of New Jersey? Where is she? She's still right in the heart oh, of New no. Jersey. Yep. She's, she's, has not even left the area in which we grew up. She's still within that community. Wow. But. But uh, you know what? She embraces it, and I appreciate that. That's cool. Is she a good cook? Uh, Not at all. She didn't learn. (laughs) See, we grew up in what I call with (laughs) Chef Sarah Lee, right? Microwave generation. So my mom never cooked. She worked full-time. My dad worked full-time. We were latchkey children. And I remember my sister's uh, friend telling me a story that when she was a freshman in college and everyone was, you know, had a couple beers or whatever, and then she said, oh, I'm going to cook something for us. 
and she started cooking eggs in the microwave because that's how we cooked eggs growing up. My mother would scramble them and put them in a, that. a Teflon yes. uh, or a, uh, yes. you know, the Tupperware yep. and then microwave it. So my sister learned freshman year in college that you could actually cook eggs outside of the microwave. And that was the big eye-opening <laughs> moment for her. Brother, that is the first thing that I, because I was a latchkey kid as well. And I remember being hungry one afternoon. I could just see it like it was yesterday. And I remember looking at that microwave, knowing I was hungry, knowing my mom has made, I know we've done this before yeah. with the eggs in there. I'm sure of it. So let me do this. Having no concept of time or anything like that, I put eggs in. I don't even know if I stirred them up. I don't even know, man. I was a dumb kid. Still am. And I put it in a Tupperware type thing, just like you said. And I don't know how long I put it in for, but I wasn't near the microwave. I don't know what I was doing, but all of a sudden you start hearing pop, yeah. pop, pop. And then I just, it was a disaster. It was such a bad disaster. It wasn't just a mess to clean up. It was like burning and stuff. It was the most, oh, I'm, I told you, man, I was a dumb kid. But yes, <laughs> yes, the, the, we, we were of the generation. How old are you? I am uh, 40. 40. Okay. So I'm just a few years older than you, but, and that was a new thing. You yeah. know, that was just like the VCR was a new thing. Uh, the microwave, the answering machine, all these things when we were coming of age. And, and I just, I remember my grandfather who really resisted an answering machine. Then the light bulb went off. Wait, I don't have to answer the phone. Oh, I let the machine do it. Then he was sold. But I digress. These, uh, just these experiences as a kid learning this new technology and stuff. It was it's a fun time. Yep, yep. I call the microwave the sonic steamer. So, yes. So, but when did you, because I still don't know how to cook, okay? When did you discover that, oh my gosh, I can cook, and oh my gosh, I'm really good at it. I look at the stuff you post online, and it's just like, oh my goodness. I, I, I have seen more of your... Uh, creations than I have commented on. I'll, I'll say it that way. And every time, man, I'm just like, why am I doing this? Why am I torturing myself? I'm about to have a Totino's pizza. And look what, <laughs> look what Chef Gruel just posted. Anyhow, when did you discover this gift, man? Uh, yeah, well, at an early age, I've, I was just, I remember skipping school and staying at home watching old PBS cooking shows, right? Yan Can Cook. Yeah. You had all of those, Jacques Pepin, Julia Child. That was the original, that was pre-Food Network. Yeah. And I remember watching these at home and just watching how easy it was for them to put together. And I, my palate at the time was nothing, you know, it was pizza, burgers, and sandwiches. But there was an <laughs> art to it that I was just enamored by, allured by. And I would sit at home and try and put things together. Never worked out. But that was just <laughs> always something I, wa I was passionate about. And really, really never gave it any thought that this would be something that would become a career. Uh, and and uh, when I had to get my first job, it was, all right, well, I'll work in a kitchen somewhere. I'll yeah. work in a – that was just the natural thing to do. I was 15. I ended up working – at the Short Hills Hilton. I don't know if you're familiar up there. It was the only five-star, five-diamond hotel in New Jersey. I mean, it was just oh, I'm definitely posh. not familiar. It was right across the street <laughs> from the Short Hills uh, Short Hills Mall. Yeah, okay, okay. And it, has, it, well, it seemed like a great place to make money. I started off, and I was, I was 15 or 16, and I was working at the pool in the summertime just delivering food to rich women. That was awesome. <laughs> but then one day one of the cooks called in sick, and they're like, hey, kid, come here. We're going to teach you how to really? roll spring rolls. Because that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, you're 15. You're working in the kitchen. Are you already thinking in your mind? No. Of, okay, so you're just 
No. You're just there. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. At that time, it was good money, um, you know, rich, very, very attractive <laughs> women tipping me <laughs> lots of cash. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but still, th- that was the gateway into me working in restaurants. So from that point forward, it was always, you know, my parents, you always got to work, right? So I kept working in restaurants. So ultimately went to college for something completely different up in Maine. And while I was in college up in Maine, I was working at Denny's full time. And then mm. I was lobstering on the coast and I was working in lobster houses out there. I ended up realizing, wait, I'm spending 60 hours a week working in restaurants and I'm only studying for five or 10 hours a week. I got it. There's something here. The ratio's <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. So that was it. So then I left college to go and and okay. uh, and cook. Before we get too far away from the uh, the hotel where you worked yep. at the pool, you were a lifeguard, right? No, I, well, no. I was a lifeguard at one point, but I was at that point I was working at the pool. I was just running food. Okay. I was a food runner. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. When were you a lifeguard? Uh, I was a lifeguard summers before that because in a, when you're as a lifeguard, you can be like an assistant lifeguard uh-huh. at 12 or 13 in these private pool clubs, but you technically can't work in New Jersey until okay. you're about you get your working papers at that time. I think it was, it was 15, 15 and a half, 16 yeah. perhaps. So yeah, <laughs> lifeguard before that. Did you ever have one of these traumatic moments as a lifeguard? Did you ever have to save somebody's life or yeah. was it pretty cush? Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I was a uh, big swimmer growing up uh-huh. um, and yes, I wore a Speedo. And uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, is there some Baywatch imagery we need here? But no, it's, it's actually, it's not the trunks, man. He's in a speed. Oh, oh no. yeah. 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 It just was, it was, <laughs> I thought everyone wore those things. Thank God there was not many cameras around then. But yeah, I remember a kid uh, jumped off the diving board, hit his head and just oh. immediately just went under and you jump in and you jump to action. I mean, at a young age. It's funny now. I I think about it now, and I joke, and I'm 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 such a I'm a, like a helicopter dad with my kids when they're near water. Yeah. At the time, and I over intellectualize it. At the time, it's just like second nature. You go in, you you do it, and you get back up in the lifeguard chair. Wow. So you went to Maine. Yeah. For college. Yeah. I've always always wanted to be in Maine and experience that state. It just seems like it's such a quiet, peaceful place. Yeah. Is that your experience? Yes, yeah, it is. Incredibly agrarian, right? Yeah. And very, very, yeah. uh, it's decades behind everything else. And the cool thing about Maine is you explore Maine. You've got a couple cities, right? You've got Lewiston, you've got Portland. But most of those cities are populated by rich, elite New Yorkers who go up there and get their summer house and chow on lobster all summer. When you start getting up into Maine, you start running into towns like Friendship and Hope. And these are old hippie communes, old soybean communes up there oh. where people are still kind of living underneath this uh, open, communistic <laughs> society. But I never thought that was going on up yeah, there in Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty cool just exploring Maine. It's, it's, it's a real unique place that yeah. I think that we lose... We don't talk about Maine enough in American culture. Uh, well, don't talk about it too much. Uh, you know, might become a secret that is no longer well kept. You know, and it might get ruined like some other places. Like I've been recently tweeting out pictures from our recent trip to Montana, and I got people from Montana saying, "Stop! Yeah, we don't want people up here ruining it." Yeah, it's of a, course it's a beautiful part of the country. So you were a lobsterman up there as well. Well, I was helping out on, in a lobster restaurant and working on the docks out there okay. just just for. For spending money. Okay, very cool. Uh, that's that's another unique uh, gig there. Very interesting. So you realize, I got to get out of college. I got to go make money in a kitchen, cooking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your next stop from there then? Well, so after two years at, at this small, I was going to a small liberal arts college up there, and they, they, they have this kind of 
they have two semesters and then it ends in March and then you do what's called a short term. And my first year doing a short term, I actually was studying because I was a piano performance major. I studied the African steel pan drum. Uh, oh, we're uh, not glossing over this. So, so I bring that up just to show you <laughs> what type of like even then, right? What I was studying, okay. um, and I was really into like jazz history and all of that. So it was a it was a cool experience. But my second time around, when I could do this short term, and you didn't have to do it, I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna bounce from college for a little while. And I actually got a job working. For, uh, pre-applied for a job with the Grand Teton Lodge Company way out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Oh, another, National Park System. Another beautiful part of the country. Gorgeous part yeah. of the country. Gorgeous. And, and you know, they ask you, what do you want to do working here? I'm like, well, I've always worked in kitchens, so I guess I'll apply to be a cook out there. So I left in March. But my job started in May. So I actually hitchhiked around the United States for a couple months before I went out there and did that. And wow. uh, it was it was a pretty awesome experience. And then I ultimately got back into restaurants working for the national park system and it was over a summer job and they give you food housing all of that right so as a 19 year old this was great i was coddled you know still working seven days a week what was hilarious is is that the summer i worked out there they shut down the park system because of the massive forest fires so i went for the first half cooking for you know um really really it was kind of rich vacationers to the second the latter half we were the food commissary for all of the firemen that came to put out these crazy firefighters oh, wow. in uh, Yellowstone and and the Grand Tetons so another amazing experience yeah so take us through your i guess career path then you've taken us to the Grand Tetons uh what what year are we at roughly then uh, 90, 2000 99 2000 okay yeah so where did you go from there uh, and then from there, I got a it really it was an apprenticeship of sorts to go and work at the Timberline Lodge in Mount Hood, Oregon. So the chef that I was training under in the Grand Tetons was going to work up there and he kind of took me under his wing and was like, look, you've got a lot more talent. You should really stick to this and learn the fundamentals, right? True cooking. So I went up there to kind of go and through and do this apprentice system and worked up there for a year. Now, Timberline Lodge, just so you know, that's the outside of the, that's the hotel in the shining, right? So it's right at the top of Mount Hood uh-huh. in Oregon. Yeah. Just a g- amazing historical hotel with a beautiful, beautiful food program through there. And it's the only place in kind of the continental states where there's glaciers 365 days of the year. So people people snowboard. There's like snowboarding camps that run through there all summer. Oh, my. Uh, pretty cool area. Pretty That's cool place cool. up in Oregon. So got to know Portland a little bit. Um, at that time, Portland was in one piece. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's a nice way to say it. Okay, so so you're at Mount Hood, and how do you eventually work your way into TV and, and all that fun stuff? Ah, gosh. Well, it was, uh, went back, then I ultimately went back to Denver, went to culinary school, finalized okay. my degree, got my degree in culinary arts, food service management, and then um, worked for a master chef out there, ended up back east working for the Ritz-Carlton, and mm. at one point my um brother-in-law's brother who ran a restaurant bistro up in new hampshire called me said my chef walked on me i need you to basically come in and take over oh my part of that was next to a radio station he said oh and if you want you can kind of do a radio show up here too because i was always interested in doing doing something along those lines so yeah ran this little bistro up in new hampshire had a radio show up there called cooking with gruel did a bunch of tv did a couple pbs shows that we we were we were on the forefront of that farm to table, so everything we were doing was local, New Hampshire. This was in two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay. So so uh, it was uh, I was gosh twenty four, twenty five years old, 
able to basically run my own operation entirely was able to get into some media out there and that was that was fun at a young age and then eventually went back and worked all over different restaurants and continued to try and push forward that that media piece but I ended up in California when the economy took a dump in 2008 mm. because I took a position at the Aquarium of the Pacific, which was a nonprofit program to support and promote sustainable seafood. It's only supposed to be about two or three years. Did a lot of TV promoting sustainable seafood and the consumption of seafood through that program. And then when I opened my food truck, we did a show on the cooking channel. It was uh, Eat Street was the name of the show. And then one of the producers from that show called me about six months later and said we're piloting a show on food network called food truck face off i remembered you you had charisma etc or we just knew we could pay you nothing i don't know what it was uh do you want to come and do this food network show so that was kind of my gateway into television okay so you've been in california ever since then. yeah that was 2000 uh 2009 i went out there wow uh and then met my wife in 2000 2011 2012 we got married after five weeks and now we've got four kids so yeah. I'm, I'm in that that kept me in california so you have four kids ranging in age from eight months to 10 years old so you got some young kids there it's fun right Oh, it's amazing. Isn't it like the great I love how you put on here one of your hobbies is being a dad. That's such a great answer because it literally is. It's a job and it's a hobby, yeah. you know, at the same time. Is fatherhood everything you thought it would be? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really it really is. And everybody says that too. And it's funny because my wife's a little bit younger than I am and I, you know, I was like, I always know that I want this, but it's crazy that I'm getting to that point where heck, I don't know what's going to happen. And then, you know, you have your first kid and it's like, oh boy, this is this is everything I thought it would be because I finally can make poop jokes yes. without seeming like a child. Thank you. I can I have an I have a built in audience that are gonna continue to laugh at my jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the the best part of this. Because it is all about me, you hear? Right? Uh, oh, oh, absolutely <laughs> no 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 no. So check this out. What's gonna be rewarding yet crushing all at the same time is when and maybe you've already started to experience this. For me, my kids range in ages 13 to 18, so maybe it's not quite happened yet, but what I'm getting at is when they start using your jokes against you or making them better and really winning the joke off, and you're like, wait a minute, I taught you everything you know about humor, and yet you're winning this. I don't like that anymore, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it'll come full circle. I, I can't. Well, my six-year-old already—he has these kind of <laughs> off-the-cuff quips, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, "Darn, I'm proud of you!" And yes. why didn't I think of that? Yes, yes. And yes. now you can do it through this kind of six-year-old mind, and you're all cute still. And I gotta really amp up my game. And if he's already doing that at age six yeah. to you, oh, just wait till he's a teenager. Ah, boy. And you're gonna lose all those battles, those those joke-offs. I'm glad you brought up, by the way, all those PBS shows, because I didn't have cable growing up. Those cooking shows, I learned nothing from them, but I was immensely yeah. entertained by them. Those were just constantly on in my house just because that was the entertainment. And uh, so I, I just think that's cool because I'm just having all these flashbacks of Julia Child and, and all that stuff. Um, I'd forgotten about Jacques Poupin, and you triggered that memory. So thanks for bringing up those, those awesome uh, childhood memories for me. Uh, it's visceral. You can feel it. Yes, because that is why I... I bet those PBS shows from our youth is what laid the groundwork for the success of 
the Food Network and other cooking shows because Julia Child was the was the groundbreaker. Yeah. I mean, she was the pioneer. And it's just really cool to see how it's gone from her show to a network built around it. I just, I don't know. Just, yeah. I'm just thinking out loud here. Well, and it's and if you think about it, what's the format? It's dump and stir, right? All those shows are dump and stir yeah. formats, right? Here I have all these ingredients. I'm going to dump them. I'm going to stir them. I'm going to talk about them. And mm-hmm. then obviously Julia peppered in all of her humor. And <laughs> she was more, there was a lot more staccata, so if you will, to it. Self-deprecating, you know, I love it. But, but you're right. It's the personality. Yeah. It's not the food. It's not the cooking. It's the person that is engaging with you and bringing you into their kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh-huh. but th- what they've done now though with food TV is it's really really overthought, right? And I say that because it's like, oh, we got to do this competition and we've got to do this, mm-hmm. or we've got to reimagine the following format, and it's just so produced and played out with these makeover shows. Because we did it, I did it, I I I had a thirteen episode show on FYI Network when they were relaunching FYI after A and E bought out Biography, and you know it's like this format and it's just completely. It's all fake, right? It's not fake in the sense of it being actors and actresses. I know what all, you mean. It's scripted. But, yeah, but it's incredibly scripted. And and actually, many times it is actors and actresses mm. who are playing the role of these, like, really people who are, you know, reviewers or guests or customers. Uh. And it's just, it you know, it takes a lot of that away. And nobody wants to do these dump and stir shows anymore. But I'm like, we got to bring back the PBS-style yeah. cooking show. That's interesting. So they've basically taken an organic genre for lack of a better way to describe it, and and overdone, uh, overcooked it, if you will. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a, that's an interesting angle. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. They got to get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. Yeah. That's at the end of the day. That's what people want. I yeah. mean, you know, it's funny. I get probably uh, thirty messages a day from people who are really, really want to cook. They don't necessarily know where to start or how. Perhaps they had some ingredients that somebody gave them or mm. they ended up in their grocery bag. And it's just real quick questions, right? Like, oh, guy, yesterday, I got some I got some white navy beans. I meant to buy garbanzo beans. What the <laughs> heck should I do with them, right? That's me. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool because people want – these basics are so important, the gateway uh-huh. basics. Uh, and uh, – you, there's not as much accessibility to it because now it's all about like, well, you know, I'm going to put this, uh, you know, Himalayan cannabis leaf braised on top of uh, the dentures of a of an antelope from northern Montana who only listened to Cat Stevens. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that a good dish? Yeah, Is exactly. That good? That's, that, that's good. Bingo. Okay. So in your time working uh, in a restaurant or um, at hotels – in the kitchen, have you ever had a challenging moment where you had a customer that was just not happy, not satisfied with the dish, that you just had to like leave the kitchen to go and well, let me put a face with this jerk that keeps sending this dish back? Did that ever happen? Oh yeah, all the time. Oh, so no. so when I was oh. for getting into my executive chef positions. Uh, I guess in my mid-20s when I was kind of the head in the kitchen and was more on the outside doing the outside expo, et cetera, and then the server would come in and be like, oh, you've got an irate customer. This was before, really before Yelp, before everything went could go viral so quickly. I uh-huh. would always go out and, what well, I would say, touch tables. And it was a bit uh, aggressive at times on my part. Uh, I was pretty <laughs> stubborn. But at other times, I tried to open up my mind to understanding why uh-huh. they didn't perhaps like the dish. But I did get sucker punched once in a kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, 
and uh, with a guest who came back, it was partially open kitchen. His food oh, was, he either no. didn't like his appetizer, his food was late, and I started shooting my mouth off to him, and then he sucker punched me. Uh, like, so that literally was, sucker oh, yeah. punched you. Yeah, yeah, he was wasted. He was wasted. Oh, that was man. a great experience. I let him keep going. I let him keep eating because I actually thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> wow. You're a better man than me. Yeah. My goodness. Wow. I had no idea when I was going to ask you that question. It was going to lead to a fist fight in the kitchen from an irate customer. Oh, boy. Kitchen stories, look, it's a band of pirates and things that happen <laughs> on these these ships, if you will. That's um, fun. Many, many lore not to be told and, and some, uh-huh. some that we can leak out there. Okay. Well, has anyone ever along the way given you crap or given you any kind of trouble for your last name, Gruel? Oh, yeah. And, and its association with food? Oh, just before, just when I was coming over here today, some guy reposted it. Look at this with a name like Gruel <laughs> who can't even cook food. Your name is so fitting. Oh, right? come on. It, it's, it's every day. It's every single day. Really? I think it's hilarious, right? I, I actually have no problem yeah. with it. it. But it's such an old joke yeah. that when I hear it now, it's like, that's so unoriginal. <laughs> Do you think that at... You know, at 40, 40 years old that I haven't heard that hundreds of times. Right. Started in culinary school, right? Sure. Like, But I will open a restaurant one day called Restaurant Gruel. Nice. Mark my words. You're going to change – you, sir, could change the meaning of the word, right? Uh, that's the goal, that right? That would be From, awesome. It, it proves that you're not going by a fake name too, right? <laughs> bingo. Bingo. Yeah, someone just introduced me the other day via social media to a chef with the last name Bland. So there's a club of us who have been fighting this uphill battle. That is awesome. See, you got to go into business with that guy. Yeah, I know. Blaine Gruel. Yeah, bingo. That well, that could be the the one-two punch, though, that knocks us both out. So I don't know. That is so good. Okay, man. Um, let's see here. You like to run. Yep, yep. You like run every day? Uh, yeah, I try to. Uh, how um, many miles are we talking? Um, you, I'm getting older, so it's yeah. not, not as much <laughs> as I can. I'm running around and chasing the kids, but it used to be, you know, five miles a day, six miles a day. What's the draw to that? Uh, just an opportunity to think. There is there is something mm. to be said about the runner's high, and it's kind of like my m- moving meditation, if you will. That's yeah, it's a chance to think. That's yeah. good. And I like how you mentioned Twitter as a as a hobby as well. I got to thinking of that when I saw your answer. I was like, crap. I think that's I think that's a hobby of mine too. Now that I think about it. So anyway, you're absolutely scrolling right. and trolling. Scrolling and trolling. Yes. But uh, I, I do love going to check out the the dishes that you post and just think, that looks really good. Uh, again, I'm not even a food guy, but I look at your creations. And I'm like, did he take that picture in his kitchen right now? Or is this, you know, I, I don't know. Well, you know, that's still always going to be the secret. But 90% of the time, they are inspired and immediate. Wow. The uh, There's certainly a library of dishes that, sure, I, sure, that sure. I keep in my back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you ever <laughs> sitting around... As a great chef with all this knowledge, and you're ever just like, you know what? I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Okay. Uh, you know, chefs, we eat pretty <laughs> simple. Um, so it's... Uh, Do you ever feel lazy? You know, like, I'm not making a nice thing. I'm just going to get a bag of chips. Yeah, well, you know, it's <laughs> it's cereal. And I've posted a lot of those things as well, yeah. like just the... You know, pre-made burrito thrown on top of a burner on the stove, yeah, getting blackened or charred. And oh. I throw that out there. People still like that because yeah. they know it's real. That's very cool. You mentioned earlier when you went to college, you're a music major. Yeah, I was piano performance. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, piano performance. And what was the thing you said? Oh, the steel pan drums. Steel pan drums. Yeah. Okay, that's 
that's cool. What were you planning on doing for a career before you realized the passion of cooking and, and doing that? Yeah, come on. I had uh, <laughs> nine, 19 years old. I okay. I was just checking because, you know. Yeah. Like, well, my dream was to just go play jazz bars. Okay. I, so I wanted to travel, right? So it was always about travel, which is another reason why the culinary kind of gave me, uh, bit me a little bit because you can take that skill anywhere around the world, yeah. right? You don't need to speak the language. It certainly is a passport into a lot of local areas, in addition to the fact that real most culture starts in food and starts in the kitchen. That's interesting. The, uh, you know, but the music piece of it was I just wanted to play jazz bars. I wanted to play. I was yeah. just really into it, and it was something I loved. And ultimately, if it could blossom into something else, then that would be cool. But um, I knew I had to get a big boy job. Do you still get the occasion to play musical instruments? And Yeah, yeah, definitely do, and I love it and listen to it, and I've got a piano at home and try and teach the kids, but uh, it's certainly not to the degree that I... You know, I wish I could pause time. You know this as a dad, right? There's so many things, so many books you want to read, so many hobbies you want to pick up, so many... It's just, but there's never enough time, and yeah. at the end of the day, um, you know, it's so easy in a good way to just spend time with your kids. Yeah. No hobby, no drive, just being there with them yeah. um, is really, that's why I say hobbies, right? Like, what do you spend your time doing? Everyone asks me that. Like, what are your hobbies? That's really it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. And you'll find this as they get older and they have more and more commitments in their own lives and they get, they get jobs and they have to be spread out all over town. I'm finding in my own life that the occasions to sit down and read to them all together at the same time, because that's what we do. We read these historic books together, but if one of them isn't there, then I'm like, well, I guess we're not going to read about, you know, Calvin Coolidge today, but it's just, you get fewer and fewer opportunities to spend time with them collectively. Although another thing that I used to do when we lived in New Jersey and the kids were small You'd also want to get one-on-one -on -one time with them. Mm -hmm. Every Saturday morning, I would take one of the kids, just me and that kid for the morning. And then the next Saturday, and, you know, and there was three Saturdays. I have three kids. Three Saturdays that we would do something, and then there would be a fourth Saturday, whatever. Well, you've got four kids, right? So there you go. If you want to do that, you could, because you need both of them. You need, yeah. you need the one-on-one -on -one time, but you need them all together, too. Yeah. I don't know, but you're absolutely right. That's, that's a long-winded way of replying to you saying... I totally want to pause time so many times. Yes, there's so many books that you will never get to read with them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that was depressing. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. No, I'll, let me just give me a second to cry here. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, your kids are still young enough where, you know, you could, you can. I'm the one that should be depressed, Andrew. My kids are <laughs> teenagers. I'm about to have one go to college. Okay, so tell me what, I should have looked this up. The last song you played on repeat, you're going to have to, uh, do you remember your answer? Mattis Yahoo, one yeah. day. Yeah, Mattis Yahoo. What what kind of music is that? Well, he was the he did uh, you know it was kind of reggae like fish inspired jam band inspired reggae, huh. and then he was he was a, um, a an acidic Jew who went from like this kind of um, very you know practicing orthodox and doing music at the same time. He I think he's since fallen off of that and he hmm. started smoking pot again and that was like a big deal i remember that uh there was a video of, that went viral with him a couple of years ago of this kid in oh. a coffee shop in hawaii was singing his song and then he jumped in and sung it with him that went really viral oh nice i just remember listening to his stuff he was one of the people because such a unique voice so such a unique style of music you can just continue listening to it oh, i gotta find again. this i'm yeah. sorry i'm not familiar 
We'll get back to our conversation with Chef Andrew Gruel in just a moment, but first I want to ask you about your pets. Are they ever stressed with separation anxiety? Do they get nervous? Maybe they have aching joints that seem to be making them miserable. Well, the team at Dr. Monroe's CBD.com has a special formula that I hope you're going to try. See if the CBD pet formula helps your furry friend. And don't forget to use offer code KEITH at checkout, K-E-I-T-H, and you're going to get 15% off your purchase. Don't forget that 20% of your purchase, that's going to go to the great folks at childhelp.org. They're looking out for abused and neglected children in our country. So check out all of the ways CBD-infused products can help you and your pets. you got to give this stuff a try. It could absolutely change your life, and it could even change your pet's life as well. DrMonroe'sCBD.com. Offer code Keith. DrMonroe'sCBD.com. Last book you read was Echo and Ramadi. Yeah. Uh, what's that about? Scott Husing is the uh, was the company commander of uh, about 250 Marines in the deadliest battle in Iraq. Echo in Ramadi. Yeah. Ramadi in Iraq, and uh, it was it, it's a book about the time in which they were spent. They spent in Ramadi and Rupa as well, which where they had significant amount of casualties, sadly. And Scott is uh, who I've gotten to know, gotten to know because, funny enough, one of the uh, corporals uh, who was a Marine under his leadership was, is a friend of mine. He started a com- an organization called Save the Brave, which is to help veterans with post-traumatic stress. And uh, Scott came on board, obviously, years later, and he became the executive director of this organization. And now they work together, and I know Scott through that. So I, his book is incredibly vivid, uh, well-written. Um, he's got a heck of uh, intellect, but he tells these stories that I think everybody needs to read and hear. I read it to my kids. Obviously, I edit out a lot of the a lot of the gore, and but yeah. I do read it to my kids, and uh, it's just one of those books I feel everybody should read okay. because it tells a story of a lot of the, the most the most brave soldiers. You know, if you think about it, really, you know, our vets. What what is it? I mean, in the Marines, I think it's only something along the four or five percent are really infantry. You know, combat Marines and what uh-huh. they face day in and day out. That book, that book does a great job wow. telling that story. It sounds very intriguing. I, I just made a note. I'm going to have to check that out. Thank you. I'll get you one. Oh. I think I might even have one. All I can right. send you. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, five possessions. Uh, if you could keep just five. You went with the eight-inch chef's knife. Makes sense. A brazing pan. I'm sensing a theme already. Uh, a picture of your parents. Uh, a kitchen spoon. A handgun. Now, I'm absolutely with you on this, but I need to understand how difficult is it to possess a firearm in the state of California? Um, you know, you, it's the, the the same process and procedure, I think, is in a lot of different places. Um, you know, I've got a few myself, and it was just, you know, you buy the gun, you go through the waiting period, and then you uh, go through another waiting period, and that's it. Mm, okay. You, you know, you show that you know how to handle it and shoot it. Now, to get a concealed carry, that's a different story. That's where I was going. Yeah, Yeah, the concealed carry, you work with the local sheriff's department, and Mm. and obviously they do a much deeper dive into your history and why you need it. Obviously, you qualify to be able to have a concealed carry. So you have to have a reason in California. Yeah, whether it's somebody stalking you, whether it's, but you have to have a a very specific reason, right? You have to have a reason to, you have to convince them that you should be allowed to 
carry a concealed weapon in California? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, they give you reasons too, right? Like uh-huh. there's a, there's okay, there's a framework helpful. of reasons uh-huh. that you need to fall in. Okay. So if they like you, then they'll help you with the answers. No, I, Andrew, I don't like limitations on freedom. Let's just leave it. At no, that. I'm with you. I'm with you on that a thousand percent. And it's just, you know, the thought process, right? All you need to do is go one level deep, one layer deep, whatever you want to call it and understand, okay, well, why don't you want the guns? Well, we can't have everybody having guns. Okay. So only the criminals are going to have the guns, right? Like I know it's such a cliched argument, yeah. but that's the reality. <laughs> that's not an argument. Yes. That's just the reality. That is the reality. Okay. So, uh, a couple of people you would love to meet in history, Hemingway and Kerouac. I was going to ask you what about Jack Kerouac you were drawn to, but I think I already heard it when you were talking about hitchhiking across the country, taking your time, you know, getting out uh, west. So uh, that, those are some interesting answers there. Um, talk to me about those two characters. Well, I think Hemingway's story is really interesting, just given his history and place and time, especially from a literary perspective. Um, you know, and I loved I love reading the way in which his 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 writing um, took just shaped itself, metamorphosized, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, over time as he became more of an alcoholic. And you could <laughs> you could read that in his writing. <laughs> you know, but from these fascinations that he he from being in the military and being overseas, and, you know, from bullfighting and then ultimately six-toed cats and sailing out at sea and then Kerouac on the uh, you know I think that that was really the extension of Hemingway in that kind of crazy mindset where he didn't necessarily follow a literary framework um, and it was just uh, you know taking benzos and traveling around (laughs) and really you know kind of journaling if you will in and and becoming famous for that mm-hmm. um you know i would even throw in there hunter s thompson oh uh if if i could if i could add a third because sure. i think he then took the baton to some degree mm. oh, granted it was simultaneous so but. who do you think is the person today that represents that kind of I, personality great question i always ask i always ask myself that um you know right who are we gonna 10 20 years 30 years gosh you know that's a tough call i would say that right now it's kind of a void right it's a void, but or is it just that the medium has changed, right? Mm. Is it happening in a podcast version? Is it happening in a television version as opposed to actual hard writing? Um, yeah, there might be somebody out there right now that, that we just aren't familiar with that is traveling in the country posting a podcast that hardly anyone's listening to that just hasn't been discovered yet. Uh, that very well could be happening right now. So who knows? I will say that I have not read Ernest Hemingway. Shame on me. But he has come up so many times lately on this podcast with favorite book, movable feast, uh, most cherished possession, uh, Jack Carr, uh, the typewriter that he wrote, uh, I believe it was movable feast on. You're bringing him up. I should probably at my age start reading some Ernest Hemingway, huh? Well, have you read F. Scott Fitzgerald? Because that's the intersect with Hemingway and Fitzgerald. It feels like... And everybody that... talks about The Great Gatsby, right? But, like, that yeah. he wrote F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. But really, yeah. his writings, like, he was a crazy person. Um, an cr- incredibly anxiety-ridden, insecure person. Yeah. Wait, uh, wait, are you talking about the Hemingway? Talking about Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald. Uh, Hemingway was... A, also crazy but in a different way okay his 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 craziness was was i think uh, at least in the when you look through the lens of history it was a bit more sexy in just a way of like oh gosh i'd love to you know sip on a bottle of bourbon and and watch the sunset oh my goodness fitzgerald and hemingway sound perfect for me 
<laughs> I got some. I got some catching up to do. Right? Okay. Uh, I love this man. You can juggle. Yeah. You can juggle. Yeah. You know what? I should have. I knew this question was on here. Just give, give me three things. Yeah, they they were. Uh, I'm gonna use these tissues. <laughs> these boxes. No. Uh, how about these knives, Chef? Yeah, In the let's kitchen. Do it. No. Well, I'll tell you what, though. Juggling actually has been a skill that is a great conversation starter. Yeah. Break, breaks the ice. I'm a pretty shy person, actually. I oh, hate really? social settings. I'm relatively antisocial yeah. in that sense. But you just start juggling, and that kind of takes care of things. There's a level of narcissism to it. but Wait. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got this. Some candy cigarettes. How many? How oh, many you boxes got, you want? Uh, well, let's let's start juggling three. All right, okay, one, going. two. I got to take a picture while three. you're doing this. This okay. is pretty amazing that you have candy cigarettes. Yeah, a, a listener uh, uh, sent a box uh, to the show, and, and so we have them here because, uh, you know, why not? Are these filterless? Of course. Okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> you can take these, by the way. All right. I'm sure your kids will love them. They would. Love I'm, sure, them. I'm sure your wife would love to see your kids with candy cigarettes. In fact, you've got four kids. There's another box. You don't, have, you don't have to juggle all these. There's one for you. Now, hold on. Well, the cigarettes will be t completely banned by the time my kids are yeah. know, 10 and above. So it'll be pages and, of history. Yeah, and good luck getting through California Customs with these as well. I know. Okay. All right, so you're going to start juggling. Right, I'm going to take a go. picture here. I'm going to well, post I'm gonna this stand up. I'm gonna stand okay. up. Okay. You know what? Let me video this. Hang on. Hang on a second. This, this will be good uh, on social here. Okay. You're going to stand up. All right. Three, two, one. Here we go. Look at that. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Start over. This is Andrew Gruel, everybody. Uh, live and on scene juggling go, candy right? cigarettes. Look at this. Look at that. Yes. Ah, oh, very oh, impressive. That was good. Good <laughs> stuff, man. I love it. Okay. So I got in third grade, I got I continuously got thrown out of class. And there was For, a, for what? There's just being a class clown gotcha. jackass. Okay. And then there was a like a juggling troupe that was coming through town and I it was they were trying to teach everybody how to juggle in gym class and, and they said, Well, you're not gonna be a part of this, right? Like they're coming in a week and the kids were supposed to be a part of the juggling troupe and they're like, You're you're going to sit out of gym. And I, that, that's the worst thing because gym class was the best class growing up. You remember yeah. that? Oh, absolutely. So I was like, you know what? Give me these scarves because you, you learn with these scarves. I'm going to go home and I'm going to learn to juggle. And and because I was just so mad that they were they were kind of putting me in the corner. So I wow. went home and I just, it was, it, you know, it was kind of like a, a, a miniature 10,000 hour rule. I said, I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to learn to juggle. I'm going to show up tomorrow knowing how to juggle. So I went in. I was like, here, I learned how to juggle. And then the teacher was like, you know, WTF. And then eventually <laughs> he was like, wow, you're actually pretty good at juggling. And I went on to like bowling pins, what have you. And then I ended up going with the troupe and be juggling with them, like going on like a stage juggling tour with this group. Good uh, for you, man. I still got, I was still thrown out of gym though. Oh, after thereafter. But uh, So you literally learned how to juggle just so you could go to this event at your school well it was more just to kind of like stick it to the man exactly well but that's was, what i'm saying like i didn't care about the event <laughs> yeah okay 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 that's man so then you ended up joining them like how long did that last uh, i think i went to two or three schools <laughs> like within like this this the system to then juggle okay. with them now now you also listed freestyle as one of the talents that you have um Freestyle what? Is this rap or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, because I'm not hip enough. I've got to see the word rap. I just, you know, it just feels like slang. Yeah, freestyle. Wait, freestyle what? Swimming? Both, so, both. I oh, love that, the <laughs> both. So, um, you know what's next. You know what, you know, you know. It's what, not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> Very well. Thought I would at least ask. 
Well, if you change your mind, you send a video. Uh, when we do the version where I can have a couple cocktails, then. <laughs> oh, oh. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, I got some uh, Jim Beam Apple. If you would prefer, you could right. guzzle this down. Here we go. Then... We've got now. We've got nicotine. <laughs> we've got Jim Beam. Yeah, we actually... All we need now is some caffeine. I, we had the caffeine. <laughs> we had the coffee already. And uh, you know maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Next time you come to Dallas, we're going out for right. drinks, and then I'm going to draw attention uh, to you. And I'm going to say, the floor is yours. Drop some beats. Okay, um, when, when have you had the opportunity to take advantage of that talent? Uh, just in with the wife and kids. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's it. But that's some of the greatest stand-up in the world is when, it, when you're performing for your family. Bingo, best mm-hmm. audience. That's right. Or the worst, depending on what fruit's laying on the table. And you just got to hope none of them are recording. Yeah. Let's talk about your earliest memory, being held as a baby in the middle of the night. How old were you? I don't know, but I just remember it vividly, and I thought oh. it was a bear that was holding me when I look back <laughs> on it. But it must have been my—I think it was either my mother or my aunt holding oh. me in some sort of a <laughs> sweater or a jacket. I was gonna say, I'm sure they love to hear this this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, which one of us did he think was a bear? It was the it was the sweat. Yeah, I get it was you. The I sweater, got you. That's not cool. The size. But. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, all right, and your parents have had a big impact on you. Uh, tell us about them. Yep. I mean, you know, just like what parents do is, is they lay def- they lay the foundation for all your values, your morals, you know, your work ethic. I think the work ethic is the, the biggest piece of that. I see so many people my generation who are still happy with sitting around and kind of taking as opposed to giving. And, uh, you know, my parents, it was always about – we grew up in a fairly religious household. In the sense, I was, you know, Roman Catholic, Jersey – Right, mm-hmm. Knights of Columbus. My dad grew. My dad grew up with the nuns. Um, so you know, you learn things about you learn forgiveness. Right, that's right. An, a very important thing. And my dad taught taught me that. And obviously, hard work. My, I mean, my mom was out the door at seven a.m. every day. She wasn't home until eleven mm-hmm. most nights. My dad as well worked. My dad worked less than my mom. Funny enough, my mom is still working to this day that much. Wow. Um, but watching them work and 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 having that type of an ethic, I think that is the most important thing. Absolutely, man. Um, we alluded to it earlier when you talked about how you enjoy running. You are a lifeguard. So you're obviously athletic, and you used that to get to college, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. Well, I went to school for running. I mean, I, it was it, that was it. I was a, long, I was a distance runner, and uh, that's, what, that's what effectively why I went to that small liberal arts college because I had to make the choice of being kind of a small fish in a bigger pond or a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So so part of that program was obviously a lot of those smaller kind of New England liberal arts schools versus where 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 were my other options? I mean, I was looking at you know running in bigger schools, Wake Forest, Lafayette, some of those bigger wow. bigger programs. And I'm actually really glad that everything worked out the way that it sure. did because who knows where I'd be today? Right, right. We got we got to revisit uh, a traumatic moment in your life when you were uh, at a swimming pool, thought you were walking into a locker room, and you were buck naked right yep true story and uh yeah. you weren't in the locker room though yeah this wasn't this was this was more recent as an adult oh, so no. nowadays you know now i could probably just claim that i was associating as another gender <laughs> i'm sure there's some explanation out because it seems like a lot of lewd and lascivious behavior nowadays can be can be kind of explained away through some sort of virtue but so you were going to the shower. I was going to the showers. You thought, you thought. Yeah, and you go right into the showers, oh, and then no. you go left, and you go out into the public pool area. It was oh, the no. first time that I was there, and I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't oh, thinking no. of anything. So it was just you walk out there, and there I was, towel over my shoulder. And Free Willy. Were there a lot 
people at this pool? A few. There wasn't a ton, but definitely. Um, Were you seen? I was certainly seen, but, oh, but but by people you know. No, no, nobody. Okay, I, that's this was okay. A, all right, no. that's good. That's no. good. No. Talk you but. through this. That's good. Oh my. Oh, goodness. I've run through this many, many times. Trust me. Oh, I, I'm it, so sorry that happened to you. <laughs> Oh my! I can't imagine. I, I was it like at a club or something, like a health club or something. Yeah, it was a sports club. Oh my goodness! I'm not even gonna tell you where. Which I, well, no, I don't want you to. I'm just gonna tell you what I would have done. I would have forgotten the shower. I would have gotten fully clothed, and I would have gone to the front desk and say, "How soon can I cancel my membership yeah, here?" Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Bingo. Uh, uh, let's see here. You want to travel the world? Uh, take your kids with you. What has 2020 and COVID? What has that done to those plans? That's a great, that's a good point. Now we are not, I, I you know, I'm anxious about going to other countries with the kids. Um, anxious about the way, it's the more of the safety piece of a lot of this and the way in which Americans are viewed, um, you know, and the and the level of weakness within kind of the, the American mindset that allows for other countries now to see that weakness, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, I don't think traveling is going to be the same as it was leading into the pandemic. Uh, not at all. Uh, and then in addition to the whole vaccine piece. And I was about to bring that up. I mean, this is what I've told my kids is that your worlds are about to get much smaller because of what you said, these policies that are in place that are very exclusionary. Yeah. Um, dare I say segregation. And it's going to be terrifying as to what the future is going to look like. And when I say the future... It's no longer this far out, distant thing, you know, this 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 uh, nebulous point in time. It's like, I don't know what, by the time this podcast posts, I yeah. don't know what kind of restrictions we're going to be under, how we're going to be limited six months from now, a year from now. It's a new reality. And God bless the kids that are growing up right now. The world is going to be completely different than than what it was for us when when we became adults. Yeah, and I try and add perspective to that and think to myself, well, there probably were points in time when every generation said this, right? Our parents probably said the world's going to be so different for our kids, and then we didn't feel that difference the way that our parents perhaps interpreted them. Mm -hmm. But what you now have is that the pandemic has been the predicate through which everything has changed at such a rapid pace. Everything. And is now being used— you know, it's it a tool. It's been a tool. I even I go to the hotel here last night and I'm like, you guys have room service? And they're like, no, no, not because of coronavirus. I'm like, that's BS. Yeah. It's because you can't find people to that's, work. Yeah. Yep. Or because you're cutting costs and you fu- you realize that that's a significant cost. And I made that joke about the, you know, the people who made money through this pandemic and then used COVID as an opportunity to trim their trim their profit and loss statements, but under this, you know, this this guise of it's pandemic related. Not pandemic related, you know? Yeah. No, you're right. And and so much has been done under the cloak and will continue to be done under the guise of COVID nineteen. But I worry about the kids and I worry about their I worry about their their future. I worry about my kids in terms of education. Yeah. I worry about my kids in terms of interactions with other kids, right? Not things are now just so hyper amplified put under microscopes magnifying glass whatever you want to use especially in in california yeah especially in california and then i also worry about the kids in regards to those things that you mentioned right like travel and vaccines and what have you so we're 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 a very liberty focused family Mm -hmm. um and it's 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 sometimes i have 
just this do I I should I have this level of guilt that our kids are learning from us and they're not going to be put in situations where they're going to be forced to jab and what have you Correct. um and then we'll probably we're homeschooling them all right now I because was just in about california to ask you that. yeah it, it, you have to if you have a half a brain especially through the pandemic right yeah. now we are looking to put them into a specific type of private school where mm-hmm. where some of the values align but even in that homeschooling phase when we're operating 30 plus restaurants my wife and i both work in it it we've become a family enterprise i mean we've got the baby in the restaurants we got the kids in the That's restaurants 24 7 and it is it's great right like they're learning so much and they're learning a different way of life but then also i feel guilty because i'm like am i robbing them of the things that normal kids go through right like going and playing at their friends houses and being a part of all these different soccer camps instead our kids are sitting in there counting drawers breaking Mm. down you know thousand pound bluefin tuna (laughs) yeah that is an interesting perspective that you have because i would say hey you're actually benefiting your kids because they are under your watchful eye during this insane time. But you do make a good point there about, you know, what are they missing out on? But, I mean, what are they missing out on? Are they missing out on being exposed to more insanity in in this society? So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. It's, it's a tough it's And a that's tough the California piece. But yeah. we're a tight knit. I mean, our we joke about our family. We're like the, we're like the bad news bears. I mean, we're like a team. We do absolutely everything together. Um, and we call ourselves the Gruwalds as opposed to the Grizz, the Griswolds. <laughs> yeah, okay. So. I love it. Okay, that's good stuff, man. What's in your Amazon cart right now? You care to tell us what's uh, floating around in there? You want to yeah, check actually, your app there? Uh, some lady tagged me yesterday, some school teacher from Texas, and said, can you share my Amazon gift list and then so i was going to surprise her and buy all of it for her no way um it was like 60 items and then uh there was an issue with like one like one of the cards and then i couldn't remember one of my passcodes and oh, that, no. so it's still sitting in the cart okay so you, i'm gonna buy it today i was about to say do you think you'll get it figured out by the yeah, time yeah, this podcast i'll, buy, I'll buy it i didn't tell How her good, man. i didn't tell her i would but i will i, I and and you it's, are it's awesome. the gifted amazon stuff so that is so cool man i'm gonna tag you with my cart yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Jim Beam. No, let's see here. Um, anything that, that you have on the horizon that you want to alert people to? Uh, anything you want to promote here and tell us about? Uh, uh, my wife and I are working on a kind of a new site right now. It's called American Gravy. Um, so that's going to be our, our, our kind of family and food and media enterprise, cooking videos, digital, we'll be launching a podcast, hey. recipes, retail, T-shirts, apparel, all of that. So American Gravy, it's really kind of, you know, patriotic food. Has it already started? Uh, we're about to launch it in the next month. So Okay. Well, then, then by the time this posts, check out AmericanGravy.com. Yeah, AmericanGravy.com. Oh, yeah. man, very cool. Uh I would encourage folks to follow you on Twitter at Chef Gruel, C-H-E-F-G-R-U-E-L, uh, on Instagram. Yeah, at Andrew Gruel. Uh-huh, Andrew Gruel. And, uh, MySpace. My, oh, <laughs> no, yeah. Look I'm at just that. kidding. <laughs> no, hold on a second. Is that still a thing, or has that been officially shut down? Like, I think they tried to rebrand it. Yeah, is it like maybe four people on it still or something? Uh, yeah, you still <laughs> – What's who's the guy who's still friends with everybody? Uh forget his name he's in everybody's oh. tom tom yes yeah. thank you <laughs> tom yeah so face. tom's still on there <laughs> okay what's uh tell us about 86struggle.com uh so 86 struggle was a foundation well, not a foundation it was just uh an organization we started in december when they shut down outdoor dining for the 20th time 
And they did that in conjunction with the news that, oh, whoops, $40, $50 billion of unemployment funds were misappropriated. So you're shut down. You lost your job. Oh, and you can't get any unemployment benefits. So we stepped up and said, we'll become the unemployment agency by raising funds and redistributing Mm -hmm. it. Um, so we ran that for three or four months. Now, we, we haven't necessarily put as much focus into it because now things have flipped, right? You have a, the supply and demand has kind of turned upside down. You've got a, a, a high supply of jobs and a low demand, if you will. So we don't have many people now. So we're, we do have, we raise a little bit of funds here and there still just by virtue of the namesake of it and people donate. So we're giving that to independent owner operators who are, haven't gotten PPP funding, perhaps were, left out in this whole process because you know your food truck owners your your one-off cafes mom and pops catering companies often forgotten about yeah well that I, that's about the time when you were launching this that's about the time that that i started uh, following you on twitter and it just it's so cool wasn't did dave portnoy do something with you yeah as well? yeah that's yeah, yeah yeah that's how i uh i it's so great man that, that you took that initiative in in this era of such uncertainty and gross overstepping by governments. So anyway, thank you. Just as an American, thank you for for looking out for other people. You're really awesome, man. It's a pleasure to know you and to meet you. And thanks for coming in to do this podcast today. Hey, I appreciate that. That means a lot. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Chef Andrew Gruel here on At The Mic. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Chef Andrew Gruel is such a great guy. And it was quite a pleasure getting to know him. I can't wait to eat at one of his Slapfish restaurants. Uh, we got to get those opened a lot closer to me, please, Jeff. Hey, I hope if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, you'll make time to do so. And don't forget the nearly 70 episodes of At The Mic that are all available when you head to atthemicshow.com. Atthemicshow.com. Next week, a childhood friend of mine is my guest, and there's plenty uh, in there that's going to embarrass me, of course. I hope you'll join us for that memorable conversation about his childhood and mine. Uh, my guest is my friend Ben Payne. That's next week, right here on At The Mic. But until then, please go be free, and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemicshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Hey, did you know there's At The Mic Show merchandise now? Yeah, and it's currently at a big discount for a limited time. Head to atthemicshow.com, look for the shop button at the top of the page, or make it easier on yourself and head to atthemicshop.com. Enter in code FIRSTTIMEBUY at checkout, and you're going to get $5 off and free shipping on orders over $55. That's offer code FIRSTTIMEBUY at atthemicshop.com.